The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Marie's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? Well, we have a wonderful guest coming to us from New York, from Syracuse, New York, Louis Kreisberg, who is the author of this new book, wonderful book called Realizing Peace, A Constructive Conflict Approach. Let me tell you a little bit about Louis. He is the Professor Emeritus of Sociology, the Maxwell Professor Emeritus of Social Conflict Studies, and founding director of the Program on Analysis and Resolution of Conflicts all at Syracuse University in New York. He writes and speaks on issues relating to American foreign policy, the Middle East, and fields of conflict resolution, peace studies, and constructive conflict. And as I told you, his most, most recent book, which is Realizing Peace, a conflict a constructive conflict approach, was published just this year by Oxford um, Oxford University Press and his other books are the fourth edition of Constructive Conflicts co-authored with Bruce Dayton published in 2012 and Conflict Transformation and Peacebuilding Moving from Violence to Sustainable Peace Uh, that was co-edited with Bruce Dayton in 2009 and International Conflict Resolution which he published in 1992, and Timing and Escalation of International Conflicts, and another book, Intractable Conflicts and Their Transformation. And uh, he was, uh, Professor Kreisberg was president of the Society of the Study for Social Problems back in the early and mid-80s, and he received many professional awards, and he received his Ph.D. in sociology from the University of Chicago. And we're so thrilled to have him join us. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, Louis. Thank you. Okay, so you have this new book. What is it that drove you to write write this book? Well, I've been feeling increasing dismay that my country with the best of intentions, has so often acted in ways that were counterproductive, that contributed to wars and oppression. I I was just determined to try to bring to bear what I knew from peace studies and conflict resolution to devise 
better strategies for Americans' involvement in foreign conflicts. You know, Louis, I always wonder about our um, ambassadors and our statesmen and even our presidents in terms of how they are trained in conflict management and conflict transformation. It seems to me that many of these diplomats don't even have that kind of training. Is that your experience? Well, I think they often have um, some training uh, in preparation if they're in the State Department service, uh, obviously, but... um, the work uh, that uh, more broadly conceived of as conflict resolution, despite its being more and more known, uh, I think is still um, in cherry-picked for particular ideas and is not broadly applied. Yeah, I think politics seems to take over quite a bit more than than actually strategy of, of getting peace. So this is why it's so important that you've uh, written these books. So what do you want this book to accomplish? I know that you you know, you want to reach your students, you want to reach people who are in the field, but you know, who what do you expect this book to do? with regard to making a change? Well, I think that we're too often guided by a few conventional notions and think of conflict as something where you try to use force, and if you don't have force, then there's nothing to do. Uh, And what this book is all about is all the other things there is to do. And I wanted the book to demonstrate that there is a, such a thing as a constructive conflict approach, and that it can be applied to the apps, to the daily and most terrific and awful kinds of conflicts that we confront. Yeah, and so you know we have these conflicts that are are held at the you know we've got people who have high egos, like I think of Putin <laughs> or, or Castro's brother Raul now, or, or all these people who are up there that have a lot of ego that I think, you know, they don't understand about peacemaking. They understand about power. So I think we have to have some kind of a, a shift in consciousness, don't we? Uh, yes, and I hope this book helps bring that about, because uh, the leaders depend upon followers. If they didn't have followers, they wouldn't be leaders. Uh, so the people who need to understand that what the reality is, that we can have conflicts uh, waged in ways that do not necessarily rely only on violence or even on trying to hurt other people, we we in our day-to-day lives, have many conflicts where we deal with people by persuasion, by pointing out that they could get some benefit from going along, uh, and that that is used always, even in the most dreadful kinds of conflicts. All right. So, how does how do your how does your writing style and your organization of this book um, say? Uh, search and uh, seek to reach those goals. I'm, I'm looking here at the table of contents. I'm, I've been reading uh, several aspects and various chapters in your book. How would you, what was your intent in terms of using this, 
this style uh, and organization? Well, the, what I did was to go back to the beginning of the Cold War mm-hmm. and look at various episodes of American participation in foreign conflicts, whether it's against an adversary or intervening in another conflict um, or as mediating in a conflict, uh, and looked at the actions which non-officials as well as officials undertook in those episodes, some of which didn't go badly at all. Sometimes they were done quite constructively, but too often they were not. Um, So I detail that. Um, chronologically and point out uh, when it's appropriate what better things might have been done. (laughs) 2020 vision, right? (laughs) 2020 vision, but that we should look at at the time what was um, possible. And often other people were proposing better solutions, but they were overridden. Right. Uh, At the same time, in parallel to that in this book, I traced the development of the field of conflict resolution and peace studies and the way it's synthesized in a constructive approach and see how they inter- have interacted with each other. These newer ideas and the older practices, um, each is somewhat affected by the other, and so I've tried to show that development over time. Uh, and in the concluding chapter, I have tried to suggest some ways in which American society um, could be um, developed uh, to provide a better basis for more often using uh, a constructive conflict approach. Well, I think the good news is that we are getting, like I see more and more universities have conflict resolution as actual areas of study. That were, was that wasn't the case back when I was in college and in law school. They, you know, we didn't even have mediation taught when I was in law school. Mm-hmm. So I do, I feel hopeful that there are some some real changes where people are studying what's going on in conflict, you know, the neuro uh, reactions in our brain when we're in conflict and, and just different strategies. So let's talk a little bit about the central ideas of the constructive conflict approach. I think people are probably dying to hear about that. Yes. Well, the, the essential uh, basic idea is that conflicts, can be done constructively. Uh, certainly in interpersonal relations, we find that sometimes the relationship is helped by having um, some issue confronted, dealt with, and if it's dealt with in a somewhat amicable way, we are all the better for it. Um, and conflicts are, are inevitable and in many ways beneficial to maintain autonomy, to gain a more equality for and independence and liberty, all these things often have taken place as a result of a conflict. But Go ahead. Or to be done, but too often it's done with great harm to too many people. So the first basic reality to recognize is that conflicts always are conducted with a variety of methods. It's not just coercion. Um, uh, it, it, involving either violent or nonviolent force. Uh, it was also done by persuasion. We always try to convince others or the followers of our adversaries that 
what we want is worth wanting, and we should have it, um, and that it may even be a benefit to them that they are they could be rewarded by agreeing with us. Uh, another reality is that the conflicts are socially constructed. That is, we make up, we define who we are in a fight and who they are. Um, and that may change, and of course, often we disagree about who we are uh, and who we think they are. We think they may be evil or they are um, um, defined by their religion or their ideology, and they define us in a sometimes a very different way than we define ourselves. But those constructions can change, um, and that is the important thing to keep in mind, that conflicts always are in flux and in change. Another basic idea is that the parties in a conflict are not... Uh, unitary, homogeneous entities. They're, they're, they're made up of leaders and followers and rivals and factions and dividers and spoilers and all kinds of elements. And their, their relative power can shift and can be open to, to uh, approaches that the, the leaders may not be. Um, another basic reality is that these conflicts, are, there's always a lot of conflicts going on at the same time, um, and they're, they're connected over time. And sometimes one becomes more important than the other, or enemy number one becomes enemy number two. And in those transitions, those transforms a conflict, and we may find new solutions that didn't seem possible before. Um, and finally, the uh, another essential element that I want to stress is that in waging a conflict, you're likely to do it better if you pay considerable attention to what the other side's concerns and interests are. Uh, you don't have to give in to them, but if you don't face them realistically and with some accuracy, uh, you're just doomed to to make bad mistakes. Right, right. So it's so important that we actually understand the nature of the conflict. Sometimes what are, you know, even in one-to-one -one conflicts or in group conflicts, we see that as you said, there are interests that are not being met, and, and so there's it, it sometimes appears that there's conflicting interests, but sometimes they're not conflicting interests. Or if I think about, you know, what are some of the dangers that are coming up in terms of water rights or, you know, hunger as we go forward and, and people having to just survive, that um, we have to look for commonalities, right? I know even for me in mediation, when I'm sitting with a group of people that are in conflict, I always look to what their interests are and what is the common interest that they have. If you can find the common interest, then that it isn't just the we versus they, as you, you know, that you were talking about a few minutes ago. We have to 
to really understand what's going on and mm-hmm. and unfortunately if we say the you know the evil triangle or something if we paint these people as not human or or not having needs like we have needs then it's okay to get in war and it's okay to kill them you know right yes. um exactly and i think the uh, unfortunately uh, in the Global War on Terrorism, GWOT, G-W-O-T, Global War on Terrorism, <laughs> yeah. um, some of the grave mistakes were made um, by trying to make the enemy larger than it was, by mm-hmm. saying you're against all kinds of terrorism when many of them, what was going on, had nothing to do much with the United States. Um, and it, if it were more narrowly defined as a the conflict with Al-Qaeda would uh, create fewer new enemies and, and be able to foresee a time when the conflict might be transformed and ended. Um, and I think the, the way in which the Cold War got transformed is very um, enlightening. Too often we think, well, we beat them, mm-hmm. uh, but more than anything else, it was an ideological struggle, and we convinced many of them, uh, many of the Russians and Soviet people, that uh, the way they were behaving was not good for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some of that came as a result of the detente that Nixon and Kissinger um, introduced. I I know I traveled frequently to the Soviet Union, and um, I I could see, as as some of my visits over years, and seeing Soviet people in the United States as visitors or in Western Europe, um, that was a source of their discomfort with their own system. Right. And they chose, the le- at least the intellectuals and the leaders of the party, chose somebody who was going to change what was going on there. And that's what they did when they chose Gorbachev to mm-hmm. be their leader. Right, right. So let's talk about some of the things, you know, that you talk about in your book, some of the things that actually were constructive and some of the, uh, that worked. And you gave a good example of when we're talking about after World War II, some of the things that happened. Um, and let's talk about some of the things that, that were not. Let's kind of be specific, if you could give some specific examples. Certainly. That's, the book is full of them. I know. And, I know. Uh, <laughs> as, as well as can counterfactuals where I can say that there was a better alternative which, which was missed. Right. Um, the, the Cold War itself is a very interesting one because uh, in many ways it was done uh, constructively even though it was also, there were many destructive elements in the proxy wars in, in Korea and in Vietnam. Um, but interestingly enough with Nixon and Kissinger's leadership, they recognized that um, communism wasn't one thing, that the Soviets and the Chinese communists, in fact, um, had were in dispute between them. And right. in 1969, there were border clashes and bloody uh, fighting going on, and they recognized that this is an opportunity, and they moved towards recognizing and dealing with China and 
uh, engaging detente with the Soviet Union, playing one against the other to some extent, but it transformed the, these animosities um, to a more normal kind of contentious relationship, but one where common interests could also be um, dealt with and recognized. Well, that was part, I mean, Kissinger was pretty masterful as a mediator, wasn't he? Um, yes, uh, in, in he, he was very skillful in dealing with the Israeli-Egyptian uh, and the uh, relationship and, um, and, and making the, uh, enabling the um, withdrawal of, of the Egyptians from the, from the Sinai. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it takes some skill. It takes recognizing where the, what the opportunities are. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I think that um, in in the by expanding the notion of the global war on terrorism, it set up finding and creating enemies that did not warrant the kind of uh, attacks as occurred with the invasion of Iraq, which had very very bad consequences for the region and for the United States. Right. So, I mean, we don't have, you know, I, I think of the Secretary of State with Clinton and uh, I think a Secretary of State with Kerry. I, I just don't see the, the kind of mediative skills um, that are bringing us together. Uh, am I missing something in, in terms of what's going on now? Well, I think th- there's the matter of skills and the issue for a lot of the interventions and mediations which the United States undertakes, aside from where we think we're, we're confronting an adversary, an enemy, um, they're driven to a very strong degree by domestic considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, and after all, the government officials are serving their country, uh, first of all, um, but sometimes paying attention to domestic considerations can blind you to what the circumstances are that you're going to intervene in and and make miscalculations. Um, and I think that's happened very often with our interventions for humanitarian or for other ideological or, or, or humanitarian reasons. Um, and that's why the changes that are necessary are societal. They're not just what the government officials can and should do, but what all of us as citizens should and can do. Okay, so why don't you give us some some uh, some steps of what we should be doing? Well, um, in in the book, I go through at each point where there were non-governmental um, citizens who were able to, to take actions and did uh, from from former Senator Mitchell uh, mediating the, the Northern Ireland, uh, Ireland situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting often that we ignore those successes that we do have it strikes me that when Jimmy Carter became president and was determined to uh, resolve the conflict with Panama over the canal, right? 
um, he was dealing with a crisis that had started in 1964 when there were bloody riots in, in the canal, and, er, and Lyndon Johnson and the subsequent presidents tried to um, settle this, but found that there were uh, many senators uh, who opposed uh, any giving away of our canal mm-hmm. um, and stopped it. Reagan made a very fundamental case of that. It's ours, and we're not giving it away. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Jimmy Carter said, well, it really isn't ours. <laughs> yeah. It was leased, um, and he, 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 he had the paid attention and got some of the senators to come down in Panama, and they should see how it looks at looks at like from their point of view. Um, the American military people did point out that the canal would be more secure if it went through a friendly country than a hostile country. Right. And with a great deal of effort, he um, did convince Senate to pass. Two treaties, ratified two treaties, uh, which settled the matter, and it's been quite successful. So successful that nobody talks about it. Yeah. And nobody says, hey, that was a good idea. We settled a conflict early enough before we escalated it. Didn't have to invade anybody. Mm-hmm. We worked out an arrangement which is mutually satisfactory. So part of what I think we have to do is to go back and look at what went well as celebrate it sometimes instead of just taking it uh, it's not exciting like a like a right. violent confrontation well we have to look at long term and short term and i think um you know now we are no longer running the panama canal right isn't it the chinese that are running the canal no, now the panamanians oh the panamanians with the chinese right aren't they i don't think the chinese have any particular no role. no yeah, but, it's, but it, it's right now it's uh, it's working, yeah. <laughs> so we don't want to break it. So uh, yeah, so what are so that's one thing. Now, what about this whole thing with Iran? Uh, what do you think about the whole brokering with Iran now with the nuclear uh, issues that that are going on? Well, I th- I think uh, there have been many opportunities of moving uh, to a better relationship with uh, Iran about this issue. Um, And they were interrupted partly by changes within Iran at times and partly by changes within this government uh, when Bush came in and declared Iran and North Korea and Iraq as part of an evil... Evil uh, access, yeah. (laughs) uh, it, it, It was at a point when there were actually some movement of accommodations with North Korea and with Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that Obama um, has shown uh, courage and good sense in being able to mobilize uh, an international support for, uh, for sanctions, but combining that with um, indications that we were not trying to overthrow their government. Right. Um, it's very hard to get somebody to um, give up uh, um, some method of defense while you're at the same time you're threatening to overthrow them. Right. Um, which was what the case was with Iraq, and so I think it's, it's it's very good. It was interesting that it was started 
with some non-governmental negotiations um, um, from uh, high Iranian and American former officials, and and um, so this was a a long process of accommodation and figuring out what a strategy that would be sensible. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the challenges is the propaganda that is sent out by the media um, and the government media <laughs> in various countries, and that makes it hard. It, it just makes us look bad or it makes them look bad, and it, it really interferes a lot with moving forward. But we're just about out of time. I just want to, uh, again, uh, thank you for joining us uh, uh, Professor Lewis Kreisberg from Syracuse University, his new book, Realizing Peace, A Constructive Conflict Approach. And you can find out more about him and his book at, if you go to syr.edu, that's S-Y-R dot E-D-U for Syracuse University in New York, and then go to Lewis, search Lewis Kreisberg, K-R-I-E-S-B-E-R-G, and you'll find his uh, his bio and information about him and his book Realizing Peace. Thank you so much Lewis for joining us and we wish you the best and thank you for helping us to have more peace in our country. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. for Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Thanks. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.